How's everybody doing in the house today? And I am, uh, I'm still kind of shook by worship, if I'm honest. Um, it's actually, Austin, can I have you come up and play for me? Um, it's going to be a different kind of word this morning. I'm just so grateful for Jesus. You know, I don't know about anybody else, but I take, as a, for lack of a better term, as a prophetic voice, I take world events kind of personally. Um, things that I see in the news, things that I see in, uh, in the earth today have, uh, I realized as I was putting this message together, I become soul weary. Anybody else felt that way? Where you just felt tired, but not physically tired, just tired of another thing. And as I was, as I was praying and as I was studying, I felt like the Lord deliberately gave me a reminder personally so I could give you a reminder corporately. From the deliberate, indiscriminate, and brutal violence against innocent civilians to yet another horrifying war to the return of the specter of Nazi-esque anti-Semitism rearing its head, not in the backwoods, but in the halls of Congress and our highest academia, I have to acknowledge it's taken its toll on me. As Thomas Paine once wrote, these are the times that try men's souls. But I'm grateful in times like these that in the midst of it all, Jesus is still on the throne. God is not surprised. And the kingdom of God is still advancing. I'm going to take you, I'm going to take you through a lot of scripture today. And, and you know what? I'm, I'm not necessarily going to be exegetical about it. I'm just going to preach it. We're going to go this morning to Hebrews chapter 12, starting in verses 14 and going to the verses 29. It says, pursue peace with everyone and holiness, for without it, no one will see the Lord. Make sure that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no root of bitterness springs up, causing trouble and defiling many. And make sure that there isn't any immoral or irreverent person like Esau who sold his birthright in exchange for a single meal. For you know that later when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, even though he sought it with tears, because he didn't find any opportunity for repentance. But you have not come to what could be touched. Now what the author is talking about here is he's talking about Mount Sinai. He says, you have not come to the place that could be touched, to a blazing fire, to darkness, gloom, and storm, to the blast of a trumpet and the sound of words. Those who heard it begged that not another word be spoken to them. For they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned. The appearance was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. Instead, you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to myriads of angels, a festive gathering, to the assembly of the firstborn, whose names have been written in heaven, to a judge who is God of all, to the spirits of righteous people made perfect, and to Jesus the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood, which says better things than the blood of Abel. 
see to it that you do not reject the one who speaks. For if they did not escape when they rejected him who warned them on earth, even less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven. His voice shook the earth at that time, but now he has promised yet once more, I will shake not only the heavens, but also the earth. And this expression, yet once more, indicates the removal of what can be shaken, that is created things, so that what is not shaken might remain. Therefore, since we are receiving, come on, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful. And by it, we may serve God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Listen, I want to remind you this morning that your inheritance is more than eternal life. It's more than forgiveness. It's more than wealth or riches or ease or comfort. You and I have received a kingdom that doesn't blink when the nations rage. It doesn't cower in fear when the beasts roar. It doesn't shy back when demons screech. And it does not shake when the tremors of uncertain times strike. By the way, if you're taking notes this morning, I'd have you write down living from your inheritance. You and I have inherited certainty and stability when the world is anything but. We are the recipients of a great hope that the world cannot perceive and it cannot take away. We have received mercy and grace that cannot and will not be rescinded because the giver is Jesus, whose name is faithful and is true to all his promises. We are the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit, who the word says has made his ministers a flame of fire. And we are being built into a holy habitation together, namely his church. Oh, church, be reminded today that what God is building cannot be destroyed by fire or sword and cannot be conquered by foreign powers or supernatural enemies. Psalm 68.1 says it this way, God shall arise and his enemies shall be scattered. The impetus on shall, not might, not may, God shall arise and his enemies shall be scattered. All it takes for God to achieve victory is to stand and his enemies crumble. Moreover, we have not inherited a defensive kingdom safe behind high walls. Rather, we have received a kingdom built upon the rock of Jesus Christ and the fearless confession of faith that has shook the nations of the earth and toppled kingdoms and godless regimes for 2,000 years. Jesus is the Son of God, the Savior of man, the King above all kings, and he is coming again to judge the living and the dead. In fact, David wrote in Psalms, The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. This and more we have received. And in the light of this great inheritance that we have received, I hear the Spirit of God say, minister peace to this people. I minister peace to your hearts this morning. For the peace that we have is not situational. It is given by impartation. And Jesus said to his disciples in John 14, 27, he said, my peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give it to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. 
in John 16.33. I want, I want you to consider John 16.33. He says, I've told you these things. What did Jesus tell him? He told him all of the terrible things that were going to befall the earth in their day. He told him all of the things that they were going to suffer on his behalf in their day. And what does he say to him? He doesn't say, okay, guys, buckle up. It's going to get a lot worse. He says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. The peace that Jesus gives is a peace born from the knowledge that in all situations he is in charge that my inheritance is assured and that I am already seated with him in heavenly places. In light of this great inheritance, scripture gives us a clear directive. Live with reverence, holiness, and awe of all that God has accomplished and will yet accomplish according to his own power. Can I remind you this morning, you don't have to fix the world's problems. That's Jesus' job. I love that he said, <laughs> I love that in John 16, 33, he didn't say, take heart, I'm overcoming the world. He said, take heart, I have overcome the world. See, the things that are troubling us no longer trouble him because he already knows that it's, all, it's already at the end. He's already overcome it. I'm going to say this one more time. In the light of this great inheritance, Scripture gives us a clear directive. Live with reverence and holiness and awe of all that God has accomplished and will accomplish by his own power. Man, isn't it beautiful to know you're not responsible for everything? In a world that would like to tell you that because your ancestors did this or said that or did this, that you're responsible to fix everything. You don't have to fix everything. Actually, you're not responsible. Jesus actually is the one who's fixing everything. We don't have to, you know, sometimes we, we, we love to talk about David and Goliath and how to slay your giants and all that kind of stuff. But the cool thing is, you don't have to slay Goliath. Jesus already did. Can he equip you to slay giants? Absolutely. But the beauty is, he already slayed them for you. That was my intro. We're just going to talk about two things this morning, and then we're, gonna, we're just going to get back into worship. I just really feel like the Lord is just in this room really powerfully today, and I don't, I don't want to miss an opportunity for people to be marked. What do, I, what, what do I mean when I say that? I think there are days, there are days when when God comes in a, in, a, in a different way to put a stamp on people. You know, I've been, in, I've, been a, I've been a believer now for most of my life. I've been in ministry all over the world for the last 15 years. But I can still remember certain moments in my life where God marked me. Where I knew that from that day forward, nothing would be the same for me. I believe that today... God wants to mark some people because it's these marking moments that tether us in seasons of storms because what it is is it's, a, it's as though you know where the North Star is 
It's as though you know the, the, the landscape and the topography. It's like going out in the woods and feeling like you're lost, and then all of a sudden, you see something that looks very familiar, and you go, oh, never mind, I know where I am. Except in those moments, you say, when you've gotten lost in the woods of like your own problems and deceptions and then you see something familiar you are, you are reminded of a moment in which God marked you you say oh that looks familiar I remember who I am I don't remember where I am I remember who I am you know, this is the last of our uh, unshakable series And I just, these two points that I want to hit on this morning are really simple. The first one is this, is holiness. You know, as, as we get to the end of that passage of scripture, the author simply says, listen, in light of everything that you have been given, be thankful. Be thankful. Like what you have, do you realize, okay, do you realize how beautiful of an inheritance we have? You know, I think in the West, we don't think because, you know, our families can tend to be um, so disjointed and, 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 you know, spread out all over the place. We don't think about the inheritance that we'll receive very often. Like, honestly, I have no, I'm pretty confident that I have an inheritance from my father, but I don't know. Like, I don't actively go up to my dad and be like, hey, dad, how's my 401k doing? Right? Like, I don't ask my, I, when I plan for my future, I don't plan for an inheritance from my father to help me. The interesting thing is, is that if you look at the culture in which this was written into, that's one of the things they would have thought about a lot. Because for the most part, sons worked for their father. They worked for their father until they inherited the family business. They worked for their father sometimes until he died. Their future was tied to his past. Does that make sense? Their future was directly tied to his past. If they didn't have an inheritance, if they didn't live as though they were creating an inheritance, they would not have one. I would posture to you this morning that many Christians do not live from their inheritance. We don't live from the place where the Bible tells us all that we have received, but we just don't believe it. We don't live from that place. We keep living from a place where we think that we're getting, we're, we're working to get favor. We're working to receive this. We're working to receive that. Friend, can I tell you that everything that you need, you have already been given. Everything you need, you have already been given. Everything has been done for you. Everything has been purchased for you. Everything has been won for you. Everything. We just don't live that way. Listen to this passage, Hebrews 12, 16 and 17. And make sure that there isn't any immoral or irreverent person like Esau who sold his birthright in exchange for a single meal. For you know that later when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, even though he sought it with tears because he didn't find any opportunity for repentance. Holiness isn't the pursuit of sinless perfection. It's a commitment to being set apart for what you were made for. How many of you have ever used a hammer to do something other than hammer a nail? You know, there are some things you can do with a hammer 
that it wasn't necessarily made for, that it still does a good job, right? Like if you're trying to destroy a wall, hammers weren't necessarily created to do that, but they certainly can. It's like purpose adjacent, okay? But if you were to try to take a hammer to cut your steak, you're gonna be pretty frustrated. Why won't this hammer perform? Why won't it do what I want it to do? Because it's not what it's made for. Man, so many of us are spending ourselves in so many directions that we were not made for. You were set apart as unto the Lord. See, in the Old Testament, when the high priest was robed, on his head he wore a turban that had a gold medallion set within the center, which read, Holy unto the Lord. This wasn't a stamp of approval of his sinless perfection, but rather a reminder to both he and the people around him that as a priest, his primary mission in life was ministering to the Lord, and that by doing so, God would bless the people of Israel. Revelation 4 tells us that Jesus ransomed people for God from every nation, tribe, and tongue, and made them into a kingdom and priests unto God, and they will reign on the earth. Can I remind you of what your primary responsibility is in the kingdom? It's to worship God. It's to minister to him. Can you heal the sick without the spirit? No. Everything that we do should flow from a place where we are ministering first to the spirit of God and second to everything else. See, the issue of Esau and Jacob is that Esau never considered the value of his inheritance until someone stole it from him. If you don't know the story, if you don't know the story, Jacob and Esau were the two sons of Isaac. And the story goes, Esau is coming in from the field one day and he is ravenously hungry. And his brother had made a lentil soup. Have you ever tried lentil soup? Okay, I, I didn't grow up in Pullman or Moscow, but I lived there for a number of years and they do a thing called the lentil festival. I'll be honest, I, I get that the reason they do it is because it's the main staple of the entire region. Lentil soup is awful. It is terrible. You, I mean, you could have a master chef make a lentil soup and I'd probably be like, ah, it's all right. Yeah, get Gordon Ramsay to make me a lentil soup and I might be like, eh. I'd still take that can of clam chowder over there. Thank you. Dude, this guy sold his birthright for lentil soup. Sold it. Keep in mind that the birthright wasn't just a blessing. It was a double portion. The eldest son received a double portion of anything that the youngest son would receive. And he sold it for soup. And it seems insane. Like some of these stories we read in the Old Testament, we're just like, oh my, what is with these guys? But how many times have we sold our inheritance far short of what it's really worth? If not for the grace of God, we are Esau. 
Number two, reverence and awe. How was Esau irreverent? Because he treated his inheritance like it was nothing special. I want you to imagine for a moment, what if Esau did receive his father's inheritance? Hypothetically, instead of being seen as a byword for derision in scripture, it may have been his family that received the promised land. Maybe it would have been Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. But he sold it for a momentary gratification. So how does one practice reverence and awe? I think sometimes people, the perspective of reverence and awe is that reverence is like this cold, emotionless, like, okay, I just stand really still. Don't move. Just think about Jesus. Actually, if we take seriously what the passage of scripture we just read in Hebrews tells us is that we have not come to the place of fear. We've come to the place of festival. Can I ask you a question? When was the last time that you were excited about the things of God? Man, I've talked with, it's interesting talking to people sometimes and you tell them about what God's doing. I mean, these are, you know, believers a lot of times and You'll, you'll tell, you know, you'll talk to them about, oh yeah, man, somebody received their healing on Sunday morning. And this person who had, you know, who had been, who had been this way one morning and was a whole different way the next morning. But what I hear sometimes is, wow, it's great. Then I bring up the Seahawks. And they're like, oh man, <laughs> Geno Smith was balling out last week. And I, and I, I wonder about the disparity. Like, how is it we can get so excited about things that don't really matter all that much? But the things of God were just like, cool. That's great. Oh, 10 guys got healed out at, uh, out at F3. Oh, that's great. We had, we had, oh, last week we had eight salvations. Oh, cool, cool. Gina Smith threw two interceptions. Oh, my God. Fire him. Cut him. We have so much emotions about so many different things and so few emotions about the things that actually matter. Be excited about the things of God. Can I get the, can I get the worship team back up? Awe is something that is specific to mankind. It's a natural response to the incredible. How many of you enjoy fireworks shows? You know what's crazy about fireworks shows? They never have to blow up a firework during like, you know, during that like the last 30 seconds, right? The finale. You know what they never do? They never have to like hold up a sign or blow up a firework that says like clap. You notice that? Like, dude, I, I, I you know, as a youth pastor here for a number of years, I... I sold so many fireworks, and inside of these things, I'm telling you, they do not look impressive. They're just sort of like little tubes. And I, I, I'm very aware, I'm very aware that these things are just put together with gunpowder and like random sparkles, 
And yet, man, they can do insane things with them. Like, I remember a couple years ago, I went to a show that part of the finale was they, I mean, this was a, this was a big, big show. And at the end, the, a firework went off that managed to look like the U.S. flag. And I was like, America! Why? Because awe is my natural response to things that are incredible. Awe doesn't necessarily mean, oh. Awe means excitement about things that are worth getting excited about. See, the author here in Hebrews 12 is actually reminding Christians that the new covenant is so much better than the old. He's saying you didn't come to a place where you were so afraid that you wanted to die. You came to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to myriads of angels, a festive gathering to the assembly of the firstborn, whose names have been written in heaven, to a judge who is God of all, to the spirits of righteous people made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, to the sprinkled blood which says better things than the blood of Abel. Reverence is not cold or emotionless. It's careful and thoughtful. It knows that what it has is precious. And awe does not take greatness for granted. Can I encourage you this morning? Stop taking the things of God for granted. Can I? Can I try to inspire you today to understand how privileged that you and I are to be priests unto God? A.W. Tozer. I'm going to butcher this quote because I didn't put it in here. Second service, I'll put it in. Tozer, when he was describing the Levites, he said, in, in, in effect, he said that God told them that they would have no inheritance other than himself and in one moment made them mightier and richer than every king or rajah or sultan that ever lived listen if you have been given the privilege to be a priest unto god you are richer than bill gates you are far wealthier than any person that you have ever envied if you have Jesus, and if you have been marked by his presence, and if you have been given the opportunity and the privilege to worship him, and to honor him, and to venerate him, and to celebrate him, friend, I'm going to tell you that you lack nothing. You lack nothing. And our response this morning, I'm going I'm to read this. I'm going to read this passage of scripture. This is, we're, we're, we're coming in for a big landing here. It says, in Revelation 5, verses 9 to 14, it says, And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them to be kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. And then I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders and in a loud voice, 
They were saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, amen. And the elders fell down in worship. This is reverence and awe. Seeing Jesus for who he is, being grateful for what he's done, and responding with the only appropriate thing we have to give, which is worship.
pray this morning. What I'm going to pray this morning What I'm going to pray this morning is that God marks you today as a priest. Listen, you are a priest. But I'm going to I'm going to pray that God marks you today as one. Because if you will grab hold of this one great principle of what it means to be unshakable, what it means to be a believer, if you will grab hold of this one thing above all things, that in every season, my purpose, my purpose is to give God the glory that he is due. If in every season... You will grab hold of that. That when the storms come, you don't complain, you praise. That when the, that we, that when the storms hit, when the, when the earthquake hits, that instead of running in fear and terror, just like everybody else, you remind yourself that he is Lord of the storm. You remind yourself that he is Lord over the earthquake. You will be unshakable. I'm going to read this one more time. And this is the prayer over you. If you're going to receive this this morning, lift your hands to the Lord today. And they sang a new song saying you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign upon the earth. And then I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. And in a voice they were saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that was in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever and the four living creatures said amen and the elders fell down and worshiped god we say amen this morning god i pray that you do it in every heart here god that we don't just read these scriptures we live these scriptures God, that we see ourselves as you have made us to be, which is kings and priests. God, this morning I thank you that in uncertain times, you're certain. I thank you for the kingdom we have received, which is unshakable. Lord, we declare, we declare your glory in this house today. We honor you in this place. And it's in your mighty name we pray. Amen. Come on, can we give the Lord a shout of praise today? you know Jesus? You know, 
I know what it feels like to be shaken by every storm and earthquake and have a situational peace instead of a permanent peace. But if today you want to step into an unshakable kingdom, begin to experience the kind of peace that isn't just situational. And today you want to make Jesus the Lord of your life. If that's you today, I want to give you an opportunity to respond. I just want you to shoot your hand up at me. If that's you today, and today you want to receive Jesus, today you want to receive Jesus, we're going to make this space just for a moment. To anybody in the room, you need to make a space this morning. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you, Lord. Hey, as we're closing up this morning, if you're a visitor with us, we'd love to connect with you on the way out. We have a gift for you at the info center. If you gave your life uh, to the Lord online today, make sure to text HOTL to 97000. We'd love to connect with you. We're going to have our prayer teams come forward at this time, and if you need prayer, man, we would love to pray for you. We'd love to agree with you. We believe God's going to still do significant things at this altar today. I'm going to pray a quick blessing, and then we'll let you go. God, I thank you for this wonderful people. God, I pray you would bless them and keep them. Lord, cause your face to shine upon them. Lord, lift your countenance towards them and give them peace. It's in Jesus' good name we pray. Amen. You're dismissed. Have an amazing week.